So who's who's starring in your movie? I know. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. biggest name I think is is Tyrese Gibson, who's mm-hmm. been in the Fast and Furious. Okay, well, welcome everybody to uh, sunny and cold Gig Harbor uh, this afternoon for the next edition of Stop Winging It podcast brought to you by Wingman Associates. I'm your host, Mike Carver, and with me today is uh, my very own daughter-in-law, Amy Brown Carver, who uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing now for about a dozen years. And uh, there's a real reason behind this uh, departure in uh, the type of guests that we're having. One, we always want to seek out uh, folks with uh, new and different backgrounds um, to bring to the, uh, to the podcast. Um, two, Amy's is, is very unique. And uh, what she's gone through and what she's done uh, in her own life has been pretty special. And I thought it would be wonderful to share with the audience. So um, this one is going to be interesting for everybody in that Amy is uh, works full time, does a lot of different things, but aspires to be a screenwriter. And uh, they live down in L.A., uh, not too far from Santa Monica. And uh, Amy has um, come full circle over the last 10 years or so. And through a lot of trial and error and a lot of hard work to uh, to bring forth a screenplay that she actually sold and is being made into a movie. And there's a great story behind all that that I really want us to pursue. So uh, first of all, thank you, Amy, for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, you betcha. So I'm, I'm usually getting to uh, play cards with Amy or talk around a holiday table or something like that. This is this is a unique opportunity for me as well um, to learn a little bit more. So Amy was nice enough to send me, um, you know, her, her background in advance. And as I looked through it, I began to realize just how much I don't know um, <laughs> about everything that's brought Amy to this point. And as I go through the honors and awards, which would take quite a while, to be quite honest with you, they include working at Second City in Chicago, which if you know anything about Chicago and Second City is the birthplace of uh, countless um, comedians and writers and people in the industry. Um, So while she was in Chicago, she did that. She's done multiple, um, I'm going to say pilots, maybe that's the right word, for Austin Film Festival, and we're going to follow up on that. Um, She's done screenplays. She's done podcasts. She's hosted podcasts. She's been a part of a writing group. Um, She has done comedy screenplays, and uh, all the way bringing her up to um, where she had a, uh, an actual screenplay uh, purchased and is being made into a movie, and we will spend a fair amount of time here on that as well. So um, it, it's just a neat thing, and it brings in focus for me for what we do here at Wingman, which is coming alongside people where they are and helping them through their business journey or their business practice. Um, it it's, looks to me like you have done nothing but that. You spent so much time around other people. Why don't you take us through a little bit of maybe what started in Second City, why did you choose that, and wh- what did that mean to kind of kick off this whole writing, trying to break into the business career that you had? Yeah, um, I was, so I actually, I graduated from Whitworth in Spokane, and that's where I met uh, Mitch, my husband, Mike's son. Uh, we spent a year in Spokane just kind of living as townies. I worked at the YMCA before moving to Chicago, and I love Chicago. I had been a couple of times before, and the real clincher was that um, Mike and Jane, Mitch's parents, uh, lived there at the time, so we got to go move in rent-free um, to start out, so that's that was like our foothold in Chicago, and then once we each got jobs, we moved into the city proper. And the second city, I had read um, Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, which I'm sure uh, a lot of people are familiar with. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And she came up through uh, Second City, through the training program there. Um, and I didn't really consider myself to be like a funny person necessarily, but... Um, it sounded fun, and 
I sort of figured when in Rome, you know, wherever you mm -hmm. are, maybe just try to do the thing they're known for, like whatever they're best at. Uh, so, so I signed up for the sketch comedy writing classes and the first day, um, the first day in class, I remember my teacher had said, like, he was a big fan of the program and he had said, you know, the, the relationships, uh, you make in this program will last the rest of your life. Uh, which is like, I was like, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, people but, always say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but sort of like true enough though, cause I mean, this is like, man, when was that? That was like 2013. Mm -hmm. So yeah, going on seven, eight years later, um, two of my friends I met in the class now live in LA. Uh, they both work with my husband, Mitch. One lives half a block away and like, mm. uh, when I went on later to do, um, like the podcast and things like that. I've like continued to work with them and they're both still, uh, still working on their own projects. So it was like, and the, and I've kept in touch with several other people from the class as well. Uh, yeah. so yeah, it was a big, it was a big launching point, uh, for me. And what did you find do that program, you know, most challenging in the very beginning that maybe you feel, easier about now or better about now but you know go back eight eight nine years and you're at second city you know what gave you pause what really came maybe not naturally it was hard to do in the very beginning um i mean just very basically like the the whole thing the writing the ideas all of it i think uh like i was a, an english major in college and took um, fiction writing classes and things like that. But I think, um, until you start doing it regularly, it's going to be, or at least for me, it was just difficult, you know, like you have to kind of like rewire your brain into thinking that way. Mm -hmm. And that like, all that is, is just practice. So it was just like, by virtue of doing the program, like you're bringing in a sketch once a week and everybody would read it out loud and just like from the repetition of like knowing, you know, you have yeah. to write a sketch that week uh, was when it started getting easier because, uh, right. yeah, like you just I just didn't have ideas to begin with or the ideas were bad. Like it was just all hard and it was only by like doing it over and over that it started to get easier. And, you know, I started to get some freebies as far as like an idea out of the blue, that kind of thing. And I bet it would be hard in the very beginning because you naturally have to put yourself out there. I mean, it, it used to be said that the greatest fear you know, other than death was public speaking. Here you are writing it down, giving it attention, putting some effort into it, and then having to stand up and say it in front of a whole bunch of people. And you're like, God, I hope this doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would think that would be enormously hard. So... So you're there, and you do and you do several, um, and you got a couple of awards in there. And um, a sketch you did called "Chili" was it was uh, I noticed an award that was accepted into the best of Skybox. And there's a whole lot of these things that are in your industry that I don't know of. So we'll we'll catch them as we kind of go through a little bit for the audience. Things there, um, you know, these awards or accolades or these are just I want to say they're like next steps on the ladder. Like you keep building a portfolio. Would that be right? Like this, you want to have all these things in your, in your box? Yeah. I think, um, with writing in particular, except, or I mean, screenwriting, except for a few exceptions, these sort of like honors and awards, the stuff that I like got in competitions or festivals, um, they're generally more of just a good indication rather than something to collect in and of themselves, if that makes sense. Like sure. I use them as like uh, markers of progress, really, more than yeah. anything. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. In my world, that would have been a, you know, an ongoing attaboy or a job well done or, a, you know, maybe a small bonus at the end of the year for having done work above and beyond. But it, uh, it, it firms up. It affirms in your life that what you're doing is actually going the right direction. 
right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with something as like potentially nebulous as um, you know, writing or art, uh there aren't like super good metrics otherwise. <laughs> right. So yeah, to have like I mean in really with that like a good score or a good placing all it's an indication of is like somebody i didn't know read it and liked it yeah uh and that's valuable i think right right and what a subjective world you entered into anyway you know yeah uh hard enough i mean and and throughout all this just for the audience listening and you know amy is also working uh full or part-time all the way through so these are evening weekends nights you know, on, on a day off, you know, you're doing all these things extracurricular after hours, basically, um, mm-hmm. no matter no matter where you've lived um, throughout the whole process, which makes it even more remarkable and, uh, and, and quite amazing uh, when I look at it all. So would you, for the audience purposes, you did a lot of those where you placed highly in the Austin Film Festival. Maybe describe what that is, what the process by which you go through submitting things to help us out. Yeah, yeah. sure. The Austin Film Festival is one of the um, more prestigious uh, script competitions that are out there. There's always okay. like some discussion over like which ones are good or not. Uh, but Austin tends to be, um, you know, it's like one of the established ones people take note if you do well there yes although you like i'm getting like top 20 percent. this is like a second round type thing um which is which is good but it honestly isn't good enough on its own to have been you know to be like a career starter although those may not exist in them of themselves but well can you give us a flavor for top 20 out of out of what um you know did 50 people put something in? Did 1,500 people put something in? I've, you know what I'm saying? I don't have any context. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's yeah. top 20%. So adjustable right. based on how many people submitted. But typically, are we talking hundreds? Uh, thousands, thousands of people submit, yeah. Thousands. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, all the more impressive then. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I used it uh, how I've been... So you had mentioned the subjectivity of the industry. My my strategy, my thought has been uh, like there is no real way to beat that. The only way to sort of play that in my mind is to like increase the number of lottery tickets you're buying. You know, uh, like <laughs> yeah, I'll, I see I'll that. talk about it as like shots on goal. Right. So like I I grew up playing soccer. I played soccer in high school. And our coach, like the metric, you know, you want to score goals, but like the real metric is like your shots on goal. Because a lot of outside of that, you can't, you know, control necessarily, but you can control like if you're taking shots and if they're on target. Um, So at the beginning of the year, I'd have like a goal for myself for like number of submissions. Uh, And that could mean a number of different things, but like, Mm-hmm. It just meant I was submitting to something or putting my work out there. Um, and that was like my sort of marker for success for the year if I had done that. So Austin was one of the big ones to like, you know, when that comes up uh, in the spring or early summer. It's once a year? Yeah. You can only submit once a year? Okay. Right. But to, to get several things um, submitted to that to count towards like my own personal total. Um, so it was helpful. Yeah. To motivate me. Cause once, once I knew, you know, it like gives me a deadline, have to have things finished. It costs money to submit. So, uh, so in my mind, it's like, well, I bet this better be a good submission. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm putting I'm, money on it. I'm you committed. Know? Right. Yeah. 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 We used to have a line in our business. Who's more committed, the chicken or the, or the pig. And, you know, it was it was a it was a standing joke, but uh, clearly, uh, clearly one of them's a bit more committed <laughs> in the, yeah. at the end of the day. And so, when you got to do all that, meet deadlines, put put your money down, um, you want to put a good product forward. Mm-hmm. The product, as I go through, and you did a whole bunch of these: um, Austin Film, Sundance Development Lab, um, the Second City stuff, Hash Literary Journal, and there are people who are in your business 
who will hear this podcast and they'll go, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. Um, and, and so that all means a lot. But you also had to kind of pick, for lack of a better term, a genre, a, 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 a type of, uh, of, I guess, submission that you were most comfortable with. How did you gravitate towards any one or two types of genres? And where, where, do you, where did that all come from, you think? Um, I, I'm trying to think if I want to talk about uh, genre or sort of medium. Do you mean like the difference between like a TV pilot versus a screenplay or like a, a horror versus a comedy? We can go there as well. But I, I was thinking more like you went from comedy to the host um, to a screenplay called Hell House to a flash fiction project called Pasta. Um, different, and, and so sci-fi seems to be repeating a little mm-hmm. bit. Comedy continues to repeat, it, it looks like. And maybe maybe that's all it was. Those were the comfort zones. Those were what you felt comfortable writing in those areas. Um, the, the medium, I would like to talk about. So did you, yeah. land, did you land on comedy and sci-fi naturally, or did you, did you kind of develop into that? Um, yeah, I think I've landed on that pretty naturally. I've always, what I, my jam in like film and television has always been, um, like stuff that I feel like has good ideas or interesting ideas and stuff that's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I like to watch like a wide range of things but I really I'm gonna have the best time um in one of you know in either of those and I find that um for sci-fi I mean I grew up watching Star Trek Next Generation yeah uh and like that show's ability to take you know it's just like a template for like throwing a new idea at the wall every week you know this planet has this thing going on what happens right you know like yeah. to just ask a different question over and over um create a new alien got a new story yeah exactly yeah like yeah i think that's really cool uh and that's and that shows fun as well um mm-hmm. i think the horror genre is good for that as well in the sense um in that for a genre the audience the audience is pretty loyal. They'll show up and watch something even if they don't know the filmmaker or know who's in it. Like, they're just on board to see, like, what this new idea is. Like, it, it seems mm. like a medium where if you've got some sort of original idea or a question or, you know, some hook. Right. Like, you, you'll be able to find, um, you might be able to find a place with it. And I think I think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then comedy, like, yeah, I just, uh, anything that's fun, you know, like I, I tell people like my favorite movie is like the mummy or gremlins, like, the, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to argue that it's like the best movie ever, but it's like, those are the type of things that really impact me. Mm. Um, and I really enjoy and I like, I keep, I'll like keep writing things, uh, comedically, even if I'm not trying to, you know, it just like kind of keeps happening. That's what keeps coming out. Yeah. 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 That's kind of been your go-to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I see that. I see that. And we're not talking, you know, as you work your way through this, um, process because it is a lengthy process and i and i think what i what i've just been talking to you separately and 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 even so far today what i know to be true is we can confirm everything that everybody thinks about how hard it is to break into the business right i mean do you feel like now 10 years later you know you sold a script you finally like got somewhere a little bit and you got some interest um that was a long road right yeah and and it's still ongoing i um, Octavia Butler, sci-fi writer I like, she, um, I was reading an, like, introduction to her, to one of her books, and she talks about how, um, you know, she's, she's from LA, she's working in a factory, she went to a writer's conference and was able to sell two short stories, and then went back to the factory for five years before she sold another one. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you hear stories like that all the time, right? The 
the tried and true, the, the Stephen King, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher. And then all of a sudden I wrote a book and everybody happened to like it <laughs> and my life changed. Um, you know, those kinds yeah. of things are, those kinds of things I think are rarer than the person who's working really, really hard all the time. Everything seems to be like, I got to prove myself again. I got to prove myself again. Yeah. Um, and Stephen King, even it was like the paperback printing of Carrie that took off. Like the first one wasn't a hit. Like the hardback people didn't buy. Didn't didn't go for that. There you go. I, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So if yeah. he didn't need, if he hadn't gotten that second printing, you know. Who knows? Could still yeah. be teaching. <laughs> That's right. And possibly the scariest teacher in the history of mankind. <laughs> right. He wouldn't still be teaching. It would. It was happening for him eventually. Yeah. Let's yeah. Be That's true. But yeah. So that's a, that's, that's a lot of brain power up there that needed to get out. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. So. Then let's talk a little bit about the mediums then. So screenplays, movies, um, and podcasts, and you're, and you're in all of those now. You're, you're a, a part of several different things. Maybe bring the audience up to speed on um, the different uh, mediums that you participate in and ones that you like maybe the most or if there is such a thing. And Yeah. Yeah, I started out like the goal was to um, – oh, I hope I'm not clipping. The goal is to work for TV uh, because um, the like working TV is written by a writer's room. It's more like a nine to five job. I mean, it's not really nine to five. It's longer hours than that. But uh, it's a you know you're an employee of a company, uh, and right. you're able to go in and write with other people, and you've got you know like uh, you've got a, a regular paycheck. Whereas screenwriting. Um, you're either writing on spec, which means you're writing something in hopes of selling it, like speculation, or um, somebody has a project and you come on to like pitch for it. They say like, we want this kind of movie and you come in and you pitch and they say, great, like here's some money, go write it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that model is very much a more like one job at a time. And at the end of the day, so is TV because... Uh, you know, you have to be on a show, so it's one show at a time. But at least while you're on a show, right? You know, you're being compensated, right? Yeah. Um. So I started out trying to write TV pilots, and the pilots just the the first episode. So you know, you come up with your original idea, you write the first episode, and then you write sort of um what's gonna happen the rest of the season. A lot of the time, you need to know like where it's going. Uh. And it turns out, like, that's very hard for me. Um, I still would like to, yeah, you know, crack that. But something about the the needing to like keep it going, the on and on and onness of it, like, uh, mm. just everything that I write TV wise seems to do a little bit lower, like a lot more poorly than like when I started writing screenplays, um, which, you know, is just a, a script for a movie. And the nice thing about those is you get to have an ending. Uh, and I generally really like endings and will very frequently, like, have an idea for the ending first. Oh, interesting. back everything out of it, yeah. Uh, so I, I would still like to, you know, I still try to write TV stuff and hopefully that'll work out for me. But... Uh, just like really consistently when I write stuff for film, like when I write a movie, right? it's better. So Yeah, that's interesting. It says something not just about you or the genre, but there's a, I enjoy writing something that I can bring to fruition start to finish. Definitely. If, as much as I would like to have been, um, you know, one of the writers on, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm or, or, Pick your pick your favorite TV show, right? That just goes on and on and on and on. Um, yeah, that's steady. That's income and it's steady and it's a good thing. Um, but knowing who you are makes you stronger, right? Knowing what you like probably makes you better at it, I, I would think. So, well, that's interesting. So, but then you also got into the uh, podcast world a little bit, started your own, and are a part of others, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um. I started listening to podcasts when I uh, was working at Northwestern in Chicago, like through, uh, um, I mean, 
through the BBC. They have lots of actual audio dramas and things. Mm -hmm. And then like This American Life, you know, the like the big uh, the big ones. Uh, I really enjoy them. I think it's awesome to be able to listen and do other things. You know, you can like go on a walk, you can do dishes or right. uh, whatever. It's also kind of nice. Um, I, I really like to read and it's kind of like a nice in between between reading and watching a movie uh, in the sense that like you, the audience, the listener have to still be imagining what everything looks like. Whereas in film and TV, you know, it's sort of, you're still like pulling some weight imagination wise but they're giving you a lot more and i think it's cool mm. as the audience to like be doing some more of that work myself yeah, yeah. uh and just lastly it's much cheaper <laughs> <laughs> like so as on the production end it's like yeah drastically drastically uh more doable and less expensive very which is true. great very true for the audience the, that so the host was on for a while and is is no longer being produced or it is is the host um yeah the host is uh was like a late night call-in show um with like a sci-fi slash self-help bend and right uh we did two seasons of it two uh two seasons of eight episodes and um could do more i still like the idea uh just for me, it's a lot of work because I was like writing and helping uh, coordinate writers and doing like all of the production and all of the editing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which like I, you know, I potentially could like throw some money at it and then have somebody else do it. But knowing me, I wouldn't do that in part because I'm like, well, then I couldn't control it. You know, <laughs> somebody else would be doing it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so we'll see. I would like to do more, um, right now, like off of selling the script for Helen's dead and having that be made. I just like need to try to like, got to play that out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, for sure. For sure. I just happen to have loved as a sci-fi guy myself. Uh, I happen to have loved the premise of the host. Um, I, I love the shows, just the fact that, uh, the the host, you know, absolutely believes that uh, you know aliens are real. That that everything, the conspiracy theories are real, and that you know all, all these people are calling as aliens. That they're absolutely real as well. And I just thought it was a, it was a, it was an interesting premise. Anyway, yeah, she like, yeah, she believes all of the weird stuff, but she like wants to know like how to help you with your relationship with your mom. You know, not right. like the alien invaders. <laughs> she just wants to, yeah. It was neat. It was it was a, it was, a, it was a fun program actually. It was a fun program. So you know you've done all these things. So you go through of the of the things that went through Austin Film Festival or other uh, festivals that where you made it on um, the blacklist. Now you start to get into things where you make it on the blacklist. And for those that's not the TV show, um, I feel like <laughs> you should probably explain. What is the blacklist? <laughs> Why is it relevant? And then walk us through um, between Breaking Up is Easy and Helen's Dead. Take us through like the current. So what, what actually happened there? And then we'll talk more about Helen's Dead. Yeah. Um, so the blacklist is a website that was created by a guy named Franklin Leonard. And it originated like there's a distinct uh, distinction between what's called the annual blacklist and the blacklist website. Uh, the annual blacklist is like all of the scripts that have like scripts go around, a bunch of people look at them. Um, this is like people vote on the scripts that they liked the most that didn't get produced. Uh, and that becomes a blacklist. So okay. that's kind of confusing. I say this, that's not what it, I was on, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but he, but that was so successful that he then took that idea and made it sort of a service for unrepresented writers or or repped writers as well. But you, so it's like open to anybody. You'd go on their website and you can upload a script, 
and you pay a hosting fee and then you can pay for readers. Uh, and they seem to do a pretty good job at hiring readers who work in the industry. So they're actual readers for actual studios and producers and um, things like that. And as a backing up a little bit, a reader, a reader's job in the industry is like the gatekeeper. They're the first point um, of contact for a script and the people who make scripts. So like generally an agent or manager or producer uh, is not going to read a script that somebody else hasn't vetted already. Right. So like they're they they're the ones going through the slush pile, giving it like doing coverage, which is a write up about it, um, and sort of giving it like a recommend, a consider, or a pass. And most everything is going to be a pass. Um. So so yes. Yeah, so they have they employ those people. Uh, and then you'll get, as somebody submitting a script to the blacklist, you'll get a reader review, which will give you feedback on your strengths and your weaknesses, the prospects for it actually getting made, and then a score, like different categories for a score, and then an aggregate score. And that's out of 10. And the, the trigger there is if you get um, an eight or above, needing to have um, at least two reviews, they'll, uh, the blacklist will send it around to the industry side. So wow. then it would like okay. show up on producers, agents, managers, radar. Uh, sorry, that was kind of long-winded maybe. but Because um, your comedy screenplay breaking up is easy. You got a nine yes. out, of, out of 10. That's yeah. A, that's a big deal. So it's still being passed around and you don't know. Somebody could show interest, right? Well, and actually, uh, the breaking up is easy uh, to clarify. That is hell instead. So it, it like oh, I just learned something. It. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how hell instead happened. Um, it uh, when I worked, so it got a it got a six and a seven to begin with. I rewrote it, resubmitted it, then it got a nine, um, and that triggered like they the blacklist tweeted about it you know they they sent it out in their regular email to their mailing list and mm. um a couple weeks uh, a couple weeks a month or two after that i got an email from um a producer a producer and a director who were interested in it and so uh from there like i met with the director i signed a shopping agreement which is basically it's something that's like for no money uh i would like where i retain the rights but they have permission to like go try to sell it because so like the producer and the director so they're the ones being like we want to make it in order to make it they need financers they gotcha. need financing right right um and then uh, I, yeah, I met with the director, I did some rewrites and a few months after that, they got, uh, actors and financing and we just, uh, shot it in December, uh, or the majority of it in December. And yeah, I had gotten that rating. I wonder if I wrote that down. I, I, I was like contacted for the first time by this director and producer like in June yeah, or maybe even later. So yeah, it was like within a period of five months right? right. and it like was made or, you know, mostly made. That's amazing. That's so amazing. Fast. Yeah. And you know, all you've met with, you were on site, you went down to New Mexico for a while and started to meet people. Uh, a couple of the actors are pretty well known. <laughs> So who's who's starring? Yeah, in uh, your movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, I the biggest name I think is um, is Tyrese Gibson, who's mm -hmm. been in the Fast and uh, Furious, Fast right? and Furious, right? And among other things, I'm not like the best at knowing actors, but people are like, yeah, that's so much. <laughs> I'm like, so, okay, certainly uh, he took over uh, with seven or eight different. You know, <laughs> Uh, sequences of that one coming out on the big screen, but he's done other things for sure. Yeah, yeah, and he's actually, very well I just yeah. I went to the movie theater to see West Side Story uh, this weekend, and it was weird because in the previews, I don't even remember what the preview was for, but Tyrese is in that movie, and it was weird to see 
him on screen and recognize him from real life and not from yeah. another movie. Somebody you know? I was like, met. oh, I know that guy. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, which is just the, the most fun thing. And for the audience, I mean, now we just went through basically 10 years and 30 minutes <laughs> to try to encapsulate, you know, and, and give back a little bit of what it feels like to put in the work. Um, this is on top of regular jobs, you know, doing, you know, stuff to pay the bills. Um, everything that Amy's been through to get one screenplay, even though they changed the name of it, to get one screenplay through the machine that is Hollywood um, and into an actual movie uh, coming to a theater near you soon, we hope, called uh, Helen's Dead. And along the way, um, as great as this all is, and it is, it's a fantastic story. You recognize maybe probably a couple things. One, a whole lot of people that influenced that along the way. Maybe talk a little bit for the audience about support, group, people, coaching, mentoring. What, what, what'd you have to, what'd you look for in that? And how did that, how did that express itself maybe a little bit? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, this is Lord. So in the last few years, um, I've been able to work part-time instead of full-time. And that's like, you know, largely thanks to Mitch, my husband, uh, working full-time and like that might not be direct creative support, but it's huge. Sure. Sure. To just have the time. time. Right. Yeah. That I can set aside and treat it like a like a job during like proper working hours um, instead, you know, and also like nights and weekends most of the time, but to have like, you know, some of like my prime thinking time mm-hmm. available for it. Which is what for you, by the way, what's prime thinking like, time for Amy? Uh, I mean, it probably, well, that's a good question. I, it, it probably is like around now, like you're like, like a one to five. Is it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think so. A lot of people are asleep at their desk from one to five. So, you know, <laughs> the post-lunch blues, but uh, yeah, good good for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think afternoon's really good. I can do evenings as well. I just don't know if it's good for me yeah. to do the, like, you know, that like 10 to 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift is like, right. it'll work, but it, yeah. Yeah. Some points, some points you'll wear down. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, that's when you wrote, right? I did. I wrote, I wrote late. I wrote very late. (laughs) I had four kids and they were young. And so I was lucky to start at nine (laughs) o'clock. Yeah. 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 It's hard. Yeah. Very much so. But, uh, and then you had constructive writing groups, right? That you were a part of besides the fact that Mitch likes to write, but you had others. Yeah. Um, like the people from second city that I'm still in touch with, uh, have a lot of my friends out here are writers my one of my best friends from growing up her name's Rachel like I've known her since like we were born she's out here um trying to do the same thing she also went to the same college with me like uh that's been like fundamental uh she and she went to NYU for grad school for writing so now all of her uh like lots of her grad school friends are, you know, like sure. people I know now and they're great. Um, but yeah, I think like, especially for creative stuff, having that creative community, um, like can like really make or break the experience. And you see that like with successful, um, or very recognized, you know, art artists and art movements in history, they tend to be, Mm-hmm. Like over and over again, you're like, oh, all these people knew each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, it's not just like, oh, what a coincidence, like the most like innovative and um, like uh, productive people just happen to live at the same place at the same time. Like, I think it's like having that group of people right, is what helps rather than, you know, the yeah. coincidence of like. Can't, yeah, you got to foster it. You got to want it, right? You seek it out, um, and I think I think we you know it comes back in our business as well. We, the people that we, we work with are the ones who actually are seeking help, the ones that know that. Boy, I could use a sounding board right now, or I'm not sure the next best decision I should make. 
um, or what my business should do next or whatever it is for the clients that we serve. And, and I feel like not everybody's self-aware enough to get that. <laughs> it's just common sense isn't all that common as we know. And, and so you, uh, kudos to you, uh, to Mitch, to your group, uh, for sticking to your guns and, and being willing to put yourself out there week after week after week, because that's what it took. Right. Yeah. And it's not like you you're at the pinnacle of it. You're at the beginning of what you hope is now the new phase. The new direction is, well, I got recognized. I got paid. I got a movie. I got, this is, this is incredibly exciting. And I bet you that just feeds the fire, right? It's been, it's, it's actually been like kind of disorienting hmm. uh, and a little difficult. I feel like more settled and sort of back in the groove now, but yeah, there's like a, I don't know if it's just like how I personally react to something, but I mean, I mean, maybe there's this aspect of like, I've been grinding for so long <laughs> that like, so I'm like, Oh, you did it. And I'm like, what? Like, that's what? That was it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I can, I can yeah. see that a little bit. And then there's that, look, we're all a bit starstruck. Right. No, I mean, we're, that's not the world we live in. It's not the world that, that we own. And so when you dip your toe in it for the first time, that probably comes out a little bit. You're probably like, oh, my God, I'm just here. Yeah, like a little bit of shock. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm right standing right next to Tyrese Gibson. <laughs> and I should, I should say something intelligent right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that happens. I'm sure that happens yeah. in real life. So, well, as cool as it is, um, is there a... And next, are you working on something now? You feel great? Can you tell us about anything that, that's coming up here for you? Yeah, my next um, move, I have another script finished that I wrote last year uh, that I need to, like, my, my hope is to get um, signed on by uh, an agent or manager, and their function in the entertainment industry is to basically... Um, help you make connections, introduce you to who they know, mm -hmm. which ought to be, you know, a lot more than I know. Right. Uh, but the, and I have a few people through like the agents or managers of friends that I can reach out to. Um, the trouble is, is you get to do that once. Ah. Like somebody with a connection or with, you know, they will read, they'll read you once. So if you have a script that's not ready, and like, and it's not good enough. That's, you know, that's, you've taken that shot, that right. shot's off the table. Right. So, right. um, having a movie made, I think, you know, gets me that read or more readily, you know, people would be interested in reading something of mine. Um, but yeah, I have to have this next thing, uh, has to be up for, yeah. up for that, up for taking that shot. Um, right. and Helen's it, dead. Yeah, obviously, the better it does, the higher your stature becomes, right? I mean, you just you, you can command a bit more audience, yeah. If it does well, yes, uh, I assume, yeah. yeah, yeah, that would help. And and I think that will count for something. Just having it made, but the the sort of slight downside is how agents and managers are paid, or they get a percentage of what you make. And Helen's Dead is already sold, <laughs> you know. So, right. Like, oh, they can't gotcha. sell that right. anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're betting on the next, yeah. the next one for you. Yeah. So it's on the next one, right. and and it even isn't just the next one. It's like showing that I've got, you know, this script is really strong, and then having, uh, like another one or at least another couple of like pretty well fleshed out ideas. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Wow. I. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> Everybody who thinks that they've got a tough job, and I hope we're listening to this going, yeah, but I don't have to do that. <laughs> I don't have to carry a job, work, you know, work part time, and then also do this for the next 10 hours every day just to try to just to try to break through. Um, I think it's um, fair enough, though, as far as thinking of like, you know, a movie like a very low budget movie like Helen's Dead, you know, is coming in like in your like two to five million dollar range and that's like very cheap for a movie mm -hmm. uh but that's still millions of dollars so yeah so, so somebody's you know, putting like, on the line and they want to return on their investment 
so it's like I would hope yeah. like if you want to I don't know the hubris of being like I want to be an artist whose vision to like create my art is going to be millions of dollars it's like yeah you better be good at it yeah. you know like yeah yeah how, how so I th- I think it's like a fair enough yeah like yeah. you like yeah dream big to win big right yeah I, I like compare it in my mind to like trying to be a professional athlete. Like it makes sense that like in order to be able to do it, you kind of ought to have to be one of the best in the world. And that's crazy. And yet there you go. You keep, you keep pushing, you keep going forward because, <laughs> because why not have a big hairy audacious goal, right? Why not? Yeah. I got to do something with I my think, time. I think the people that, <laughs> I think the people that go, you know, I, I, I aspire to be mediocre uh, they end up uh, being successful at being mediocre. I, I mean, I, we get what we, you know, we get what we lean into, and we we believe in ourselves. And there you are, you stuck with it, and you believed in yourself. And I think it's fantastic. I think I think it's a great story, and we love stories here on on Stop Winging It. We just love we love hearing great stories and what people put into getting them done. Um, so, you know, not 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 to quote the best part of a of a very very good movie, but all work and no play. Makes for a very dull boy. So what do you do if there's any downtime? Do you have uh, activities, fun things that you like to do out there in the L.A. area? Yeah. uh, I mean, basketball, that's something me and Mitch both do. Uh, Play on a couple of leagues. Uh, Just like I like cooking. I've gotten into cooking since the pandemic happened, um, and that's been really great. Uh, I still, I still like, uh, visual art stuff too, photography and, um, and drawing and painting. Uh, and then like, it's still a hobby, but like watching movies, I mean, it's kind of a hobby. It's a hobby <laughs> that's also but yeah, for it, my career. It's educational, right? Yeah. Yeah. If there was a way to get a tax right off there, you should get one because it's part of your career. <laughs> oh, you can, you can have yeah. half uh you get half of a movie ticket off there you go see or like towards your it's a, it's yeah, a, it's a two for one deal for you that's right that's awesome hey uh maybe the last thing to give us an even deeper dive into uh who who amy amy brown carver is your mount rushmore of dinner guests maybe three or four people living or dead that you would love to spend an evening with you got, you got uh, some names? I, uh, I listened to a couple of your past podcasts, so I came ready. And you'll be able to tell because this is going to sound written. But uh, <laughs> It's okay. You thought about <laughs> it. That's a plus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I would need I, – I would want to invite uh, the best writers of all time, probably. So mm. I think you've got, you've got Sophocles, uh, you've got Shakespeare, and uh, Agatha Christie. Wow. <laughs> that's a heavy hitting group right there i don't you know i don't know if that'd be any fun or not but you you gotta say wouldn't it though yeah because you're coming from such like, different civilizations i mean i feel like yeah yeah eras of time it's like because i was thinking you want to like think oh what would i enjoy the most or but you also have to think like you know if you're gonna get to choose anybody you want to go for the maximum impact story wise you know like, that's a great you, list you could do like uh this is not my list, but I was like, you know, what if like Vlad the Impaler? You know, it's not a good dinner guest, but like that would be interesting. Stories would be interesting. Yeah. 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 I love I love uh our guest a couple podcasts ago, Tim mentioned uh Putin. I feel like <laughs> That would be scary. Even though, even though it'd be restricted on what he could say, but if he could speak openly about everything that he knows. I, I would probably run screaming for the hills from the dinner conversation <laughs> and what he knows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's probably true of far too many people. But uh, yeah, if you could get them to talk or have like some sort of amnesty program. Here you go. You're, it's all in the clear. Nobody will ever hear this but me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Amy, this has been so much fun for me. Just getting to uh, take a super deep dive on everything that you've been through. Uh, it's It's a joy. It's a joy. Uh, hearing about it it's a joy watching you succeed in life because i know how hard you work uh, and i know how much support you've gotten i know all the uh, all the extra hours that you put into it and so i uh 
I do nothing but wish you great, great success um, going forward for, for many, many, many years to come in your chosen field. Um, and I just thank you. I thank you for joining Stop Winging It and sharing that with us. Thanks so much. I've uh, really enjoyed talking to you as well. Well, thanks again for listening today. I feel like you probably came away with two or three things that were pretty meaningful. And I want you to know that I did as well as I was taking notes listening to Amy. And I wanted to share those with you here. The first thing I came away with was that working in Hollywood is hard. And she had to be fearless. And she had to have a lot of repetition. In her world, that was shots on goal. She talked about the number of submissions. The goals that she had were not just to be better at what she was doing and to learn, but just the quantity and the, and the raw number of attempts uh, in order to get the right material in front of the right people. That's universal in its application across lots of businesses. The other thing she learned was she sort of defined who she was through trial and error. I think it's naive to think that you come in in any business early in your career and you know exactly who you are, what you can do, and, and that's what it's going to be for your career. We all learn through trial and error, and we all are sort of iron sharpens iron along the path. The other thing that she did, I thought that was great, was she constantly sought out accountability. It was through writing groups, through friends, through school, through being a part of Second City and other things that she joined up. She looked to improve her craft, but she also looked for feedback constantly. And I think that is so critical in our world today. You don't wait for a year to get a review. You look for feedback constantly. And she did that. And she continues to do that. And I think that's what helped her get her submissions through, ultimately leading to her movie that was accepted. Those are all great things. And I'm so glad that she was here to share them with us. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Stop Winging It, brought to you by Wingman Associates. 